Good morning, everyone. It's a real privilege to be able to join and worship our Lord together. And it's a privilege for me to be able to share with you from God's Word this morning. I want to bring you greetings from the church in Armagh. We followed closely uh, what you've been doing in passage, and we've really rejoiced in the Lord in all that he has done here. And we're continuing to pray for you as a church. And I want to give a special thank you to uh, Peter and Peyton for their help to Carl and I over the last number of days, to Shane as well, and to Brendan and Evelyn for all of your help as well. Uh, we've really had a blessed time in the few days that we've been here. Now, you've been studying through the Psalms, and today we're turning our attention to Psalm 5. So please look up Psalm 5, either in your Bible or on your device, and you'll find the Psalms roughly in the middle of your Bible. And if you're using one of the church Bibles, if you turn to page 529, page 529, I'll give you a moment just to find Psalm 5. Psalm 5, and this is the word of God. To the choir master for the flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. And do keep your Bible or device open at Psalm 5 as we reflect on what the Lord is saying to us from his word. Let's take a moment and bow our heads and pray for the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word, your word that we have just read together. We think of the psalmist and as he prayed these words to you, the troubles that he faced, but what wonderful peace he found in you. Father, we pray that as we seek to learn from this passage of Scripture that you would really illuminate our hearts and minds to your truth, 
to the peace that is found only in you amidst all the turmoil that this life can bring our way. And we pray especially for any gathered with us who have no assurance of sins forgiven. Father, may they know that true peace that is only found with you, that peace that passes all understanding through our precious Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would transform lives to the glory of your name. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, over the years, many companies have offered us the best way to start our day. A way that will make everything just right as you wake with the worries of the day pressing in on you. A day, perhaps, that when staying in bed seems a more attractive option than rising to face whatever lies ahead. And strangely enough, breakfast cereals are one option proffered that can seemingly transform the day, if not your life. Advertisements for Kellogg's cereals have always jumped out at me. And the marketeers tell us that the best way to start your day is the Kellogg's way. Doesn't matter which of their breakfast cereals that you consume, Kellogg's seem to think it will make our day perfect. Tony the Tiger tells us to eat Frosties because they're great. And if his boundless energy is just a little bit too much for you as you sleepily approach the kitchen, you can have a taste of sunshine and brighten up your day with Kellogg's cornflakes and wipe all the misery away and smile. Or maybe you warily approach the breakfast table and you're concerned about your figure or your health. Well, again, according to the adverts, a bowl of special K or bran flakes will just make everything go okay. Now, you can maybe tell I'm a healthy cynic when it comes to Kellogg's cereals. I'm not in sales commission. But seriously, what is the best way to start a day, particularly a difficult day? Psalm 5, which we have read together, is known as a morning psalm. It's a psalm of David, as the heading tells us, and it's a psalm of deep lament. There is pain and there is trouble in these words that David uses as he cries to our Lord. We're not told what the specific situation was, but if you know anything about David's life, he faced many dangers, difficulties, often in distress, and death being a near prospect. And sometimes it wasn't just his enemies, but his closest confidants, and even his family members, who became his fiercest opponents. So as David arose from his bed, he faced trouble. Verse 4 tells us there were wicked people. Verse 5, those who boasted. And verse 6, those who lied. And the stinking rottenness of their untruths is led bare in the psalmist words in verse 9. A bowl of Kellogg's cereal, apart from its limited nutritional value, certainly isn't going to cut it the day that David faced. And maybe as you listen, the weight of difficulties that you face are crushing heavy upon you. You may be falsely accused, wronged, you have health worries, 
friendship issues, work problems. What can we learn this morning from David as he prays this morning psalm, the words of Psalm 5? David was beset with trouble right through his life. But David in this psalm demonstrates the priority he placed on prayer at the start of a day. He prays with confidence and he finds peace in troubled times. And we will see the confidence that David has in God. David has a God who hears. He has a God who is just. A God who leads. A God who will judge sin. And a God who protects. David worships his great God and those of us who God has wonderfully saved can confidently cry out to him. We can find peace with him despite all the troubled circumstances that life often brings our way. So let's turn back to Psalm 5 and see David's confidence in the knowledge that God hears him. Look at verses 1 to 3. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Just like the immediate cry for help from someone who has fallen into the sea, struggling and in need of urgent rescue, unable to save themselves, David is in desperation here. He wastes no time and he wastes no words. In verse 1, give ear. That's his call to God. In verse 2, it is give attention, the intensity increasing to almost a demand. And when does he bring this prayer to the Lord? We read in verse 3, it is in the morning. It is an urgent plea. And this is the tone throughout this psalm. It's one of urgency. And who does he bring this plea to? It is to the Lord. And note the capital letters used for Lord in both verse 1 and 3. We see it also in verses 6, 8, and 12. This reminds us that David is using God's name, Yahweh, God's covenant name. David is immediately turning to the one who is faithful. He recognizes that despite his own weaknesses, his own helplessness, God is the only one he can completely trust. And in verse 3, he confidently asserts that the Lord hears his voice. And as he worships, making sacrifice to God, he waits on God to speak. So there's not just an urgent tone in David's prayer. Throughout the psalm, it is confident and it is expectant. Because David rests on God's faithfulness. David is confident in the knowledge that God hears him. God hears his groaning in verse 1. His innermost unuttered thoughts. And as these painful emotions and thoughts take shape into words, God hears his cry. And David is confident as he prays to God. 
because he is in relationship with God. Look at the words he uses in verse 2. My king and my God. You know, it's been great to meet many of you over the past few days and to chat and to talk. And I don't know the struggles and the difficulties that each one of you face. And maybe even those who are closest to you are unaware. But if, like David, you can call God your king and your God, you have someone you can trust. If you have turned from your sin to the Lord Jesus Christ and you're trusting him as Lord and Savior, knowing that forgiveness for your sin, be assured that God knows all about you, your innermost unuttered thoughts. And why? Because you are in relationship with him through Christ, who is the only mediator between God and man. God hears those inner groanings. And when we struggle to pray, we know that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, bringing those innermost worries before our Heavenly Father. That's what we read in Romans 8 and verse 26. It tells us likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. But just like David, you can turn these inner groanings into prayers to God with that confident expectation that God will answer in his time, for God hears. Now David was a king. He had great authority. He had many people and resources at his disposal. But look where his priority is. He takes his problems to the Lord in prayer at the very start of this difficult day. He's not too big, too proud, or too powerful to realize that he must be dependent on God. And as believers, I wonder what holds us back from prayer? Are we looking to our own ingenuity, to what the world offers, to what money can buy? And don't get me wrong, the Lord will use our wisdom, those around us, the resources at our disposal from time to time. But he wants us to bring all of our requests, all of our praise and thanksgiving to him. And after all, isn't that what you do with someone who you love? Having those times alone with the Lord in prayer are so important each day. That continual attitude of prayer through each day. And may the Lord really help us in that. And collectively, as a church, may we all bear one another up in prayer sharing our burdens as we regularly pray together, seeking to be built up in the Lord, all for his glory. But as we move through the psalm, we see that as David pours out his heart to God in prayer, that he is confident in the knowledge that God is just. Look at verses 4 through to 6. 
in these verses, as David prays, he knows that he is in the right. And as he looks around him at all the evil attacks that he faces, he rests his hope on God's character. David pours out his heart to the Lord in these verses. He tells God all about his opponents, their wickedness, their evil, their boasting, their murderous tongues full of lies and deceit. But as David pours out his heart to God, he reminds God of his holiness, of his justice. And this is where David places his confidence. Verse 4 reminds us that God and sin are incompatible. Just like oil and water cannot mix, our holy God cannot tolerate sin. And verse 5 intensifies this further. We read, sinners cannot stand in God's sight. God hates sin. God is against sin. Sin is seriously wrong. And sin is no laughing matter, despite what our world thinks today. And verse 6 brings this to a crescendo where ultimately we see the justice of God. Unrepentant sinners who reject God's offer of mercy, destroyed in judgment. David knows that his holy God will exercise justice. Now, most of us will have that strong inbuilt sense of a need for justice. Justice sells movies, it sells novels, it sells newspapers, all seeking to expose and correct what is wrong. And justice is critical to God's people. Imagine if a serious crime were committed in Passage West, but the guard of Shakona just turn a blind eye and don't want to know. Or maybe it gets the length of the courts and the courts don't care. Or the government is ambivalent. There would be absolute uproar, and rightly so. You would demand judgment. But why is it that people bristle at the idea of God justly punishing sin? You see, a holy God cannot tolerate sin, and he must punish sin. And God the Father punished God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for your sin and mine on the cross. Jesus died, was buried, and he rose from the dead victorious. Sin and death conquered. And there is forgiveness available for repentant sinners. A way back to God. Relationship and peace with him. I wonder, is God's Holy Spirit convicting you of your sin? You realize that your life is marred with sin and what is wrong. Turn away from your sin and turn around to the Lord Jesus Christ and seek forgiveness for sin because Jesus has paid the price. And for those of us who are God's people, in relationship with him, Let's not forget the holiness of God, his incompatibility with sin. Let's be wise, living our lives in obedience to him. 
And our lives may not always be a bed of roses as we walk with the Lord in this sinful world. Jesus never promised us an easy path through this life. And be wary of anyone who tells you otherwise. But like David, we are in relationship with God through Christ. And when troubles come our way, we can pour out our heart to him, placing our confidence in his character, his holiness, his justice. David is confident that God hears because his confidence is in God's character, his holiness and justice, but also in his love. And David is confident that God leads. Glance down to verses 7 and 8, and we'll think about what they are saying to us. They start with the words, but I, in verse 7, and that introduces a stark contrast from the preceding verses. Unlike the sinners of the previous three verses, whose end is destruction, David hopes in the steadfast love of the Lord. Now, David was flawed with sin, but he was repentant. He was in relationship with God. And David, while he had all these flaws, his desire was to be in the house of the Lord, in fellowship with God and with God's people. And David could hope in nothing other than God's faithful love, his unchanging character. His hope was all of God, nothing of himself, nothing of others. Frank Sinatra, in his famous song, wanted to do it his way. And that's the mantra of our world today. It's be the best version of you. It's follow your heart. But the world wants it all my way not God's way. And people do one of two things. They maybe follow the path of a religion. They do their own thing, whatever they want, seeking satisfaction wherever they can find it. And that satisfaction lasts at best for only a short while. Or maybe they choose to follow the path of religion, their own or someone else's way to get right with God. And this world offers a vast array of choices, but all are without hope. David knew there was only hope in the steadfast, unchanging love of God. And as believers, we know rest and hope in the steadfast love of God, demonstrated in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Jesus, as we thought about on Friday night, is the true vine. And there is only life in him. Jesus' finished work on the cross is the only hope. And just like David, rejoice in this if you are a child of God. Enjoy that fellowship with God, with one another. And if you're listening with no assurance of sins forgiven, we want you to know there is hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. David has hope, but David also worships in the second part of verse 7. 
And that's his natural response to all that God has done for him. He bows before him. He gives his all, taking us into verse 8, where we see his submission. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Make your way straight before me. You see, God's way is the only way. Doing our own thing is but distray. We need God's leading. Through all the twists and turns of David's torturous life, he realized that God would make the way straight before him. God would show and lead him through. He doesn't pray for a way out. Instead, he prays, lead me in your righteousness. Make your way straight before me. Bring me through this, honoring you. David had hope, but he worships and he submits. How are we faring as God's people, living worshipful and submissive lives through each week? You know, if someone saved you from certain death, I'm sure you just wouldn't be thankful. You'd likely hold them in high regard right through your life. You'd do anything you could for them. When we think deeply on the certain hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, a hope for all eternity, how he has transferred sinners like us from the domain of darkness into his glorious kingdom, his steadfast love for us, it should make us want to rejoice and shout out in praise and worship to submit and serve him in all we do. We can pray confidently for his leading to make the way straight before us. So David confidently prays. He knows God hears because his confidence is in God's character, his holiness and justice, his love, his sure leading. And David is confident God judges sin. In verses 9 and 10, this links us back to verses 4 through to 6, where David reminded us of God's holiness, his incompatibility with sin, and his justice. We're told in these verses, God is truth. And by contrast, we read in verse 9, David's enemies have no truth in their mouth. And why is this? Well, their hearts are rotten. And that's the thrust of verse 9. We read in verse 9, their throat is an open grave. And what a grim picture that is of their heart condition. The nasty, unpleasant, destructive stench of sin. And what comes out of their mouths reflects what is in their hearts. And even that those words which seem good, those words flattery, they're all about manipulation for their own ends. And without salvation, this is a description of a person's heart, of their words. And David prays in verse 10, with words inspired by God's Holy Spirit. And not, let's not forget that. God's Holy Spirit inspired David to pen these words. He prays in verse 10 that God will judge them. 
pronounce them guilty, punish them for their sin. Not because of what they did to David, but because, as the last line of verse 10 tells us, they have rebelled against God. You see, sin is rebelling against God. And if you are not for God, you are against God. And if there is no repentance, no turning away from sin, and turning to the finished work of Jesus, who took God's just punishment for sin for you and for me, there is only judgment and eternal separation from God for all eternity. The words that we read, because of the abundance of the transgressions, that is their sin, they are cast out. As you drive down towards the harbor, you wouldn't ignore the warning signs on the slipway. You'd note the danger ahead, and you would take precautions to make absolutely sure that your car doesn't plunge into the deep, dark, cold waters. Well, verses 9 and 10 stand as a stark warning. God judges sin. And we want to warn you of that certain fact this morning. We've already thought of God's gracious offer of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ because of the abundance of his steadfast love. You can have Jesus as Savior if you realize your sin, if you turn from it, and if you turn to him. No forgiveness. Jesus has satisfied God's just demands for sin on the cross. The only other alternative is you meet him as judge and be cast out into hell. You see, God must and will judge sin. David confidently prays, knowing God hears because his confidence is in God's character, his holiness and justice, his love, his sure leading, his certain judgment of sin. And he leaves that all with the Lord. And David is confident God will protect him. Let's read verses 11 and 12. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. As David starts his day with this confident prayer, he closes on a high note of praise. In verse 11, he rejoices in the refuge that he has in God with continual joyful singing and a jubilant attitude. And his prayer moves from being personal to becoming a corporate prayer. This is a prayer for all who love the name of God and take refuge in him. It is a prayer for us as a church. David was not alone in his suffering. And you are not alone in your suffering. And this is the beauty of the fellowship that we have one with another in church life. Rejoicing together, crying together, sharing one another's burdens. And why can David pray like this and have such confidence? Well, verse 12 gives the answer. 
The Lord blesses those who are righteous, whose sins are forgiven, who are in relationship with him. He covers them with protection, just like the large rectangular shields a soldier would have used in David's day, a shield that covered and protected the whole body. Did David's problems magically disappear? No. But David prayed with confidence. Confident in a God who hears. Confident in a God who is just. Confident in a God who will judge sin. Confident in a God who protects. And in all the turmoil he was facing, David found peace in troubled times. And as we close, as God's people, just like David, we have no guarantee of an easy life. But we have a refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. One in whom we must stay firmly rooted and grounded, committing all to him for his protection, rejoicing in all that he has accomplished on the cross for us amidst all the trials we endure supporting one another as we worship God in our everyday lives. And just like David, we can pray with confidence and find peace in troubled times. And if you have no assurance of sins forgiven, if God's Holy Spirit is convicting your heart of sin, heed his call on your life. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Confidently pray for forgiveness and you can know peace with God. Meet Jesus as Savior and not as judge. And so we have Psalm 5, a morning psalm. Let's take a moment just and pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you might fill our thoughts, that our desire would be to seek you first in all that we do in our lives. Father, we want to thank you for Jesus and for his victory over sin and death on the cross, for how he has transferred us from the domain of darkness into your glorious kingdom. And may your glorious light, Father, guide and lead us through whatever lies ahead as we keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. We want to thank you for the abundance of your steadfast love. And our prayer is that everyone listening would be walking in the good of this today, knowing peace with you through Jesus, knowing peace in troubled times. Bless us, we pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.